Hey ladies, I am here to do chapter 8 for us. Chapter 8 is called Holding Space for Silence. I choose to be still with God. A friend reached out to me not long ago. She was spinning so fast emotionally that you could see it affecting her physically. I placed my hands on the outside of her arms as if to hold her up or hold her still as she spoke. Her marriage was in knots. One of her kids was acting out. Her pace in life was making her crazy. A misunderstanding had caused a rift between her and a dear friend. I listened to her describe these struggles, and I knew I did not hold the power to stop the, her spinning in that moment. Well, there were a dozen or more practical problems to untangle. Before any of that, she needed the only thing that could bring peace. I love you, I said as I looked into her eyes, but you need Jesus right now. Yes, there would be a time for us to connect. Yes, I would help in any way I could. Yes, my friend would need support of her people as she navigated the path ahead. But now, first, while the rotations were coming fast and furious, she needed to be alone with God. She needed what only Jesus gives. I said, right now, I am going to leave you and spend 30, leave you to spend 30 minutes alone with God. She said she would. In the stillness and quiet, not only do we connect with God, but we also are able to clarify ident and I clearly identify what is wrong. Recognizing our spirals and naming them in the first step is interrupting them. She had been spinning and desperate and dying for answers, yet when I checked in 24 hours later, the only thing she had to report to me were the 20 reasons that time alone with God just hadn't happened. Oh, I get it. I'm the same way. Why is the simplest, best thing for our soul's long-term health so crazy and difficult to do? I'll tell you. Because real, connected, intimate time with Jesus is the very thing that grows our faith, shifts our minds, brings about revival in our souls, and compels us to share Jesus with others. It's where the spiral stops. To put it plainly, all hell is against us meeting Jesus. Escape into busyness. During my own 18-month doubt and heaviness, I rarely chose time alone with God. Outside of studying and preparing for Bible teach teaching, of course, my tendency was to make it through the night and overcome the in ensuing exhaustion with coffee and then more coffee after that. As I went careening through my day, if I could stay busy, my not-so-concrete thinking went. The doubt couldn't catch me. If I stayed distracted, I felt no pain. Because if I slowed down enough to look at my soul, I might be overwhelmed by all that needed fixing in me. I didn't want to hear what God might want to say to me or take the risks that he would remain silent, hidden, deepening my doubt about his existence and his love. There are so many ways we avoid silence. So many types of noise we choose to fill the gap, gaping voids in our souls. Social media is just the obvious one. We keep music playing in the car or streaming through our headphones. We pack our schedules with all the good things we think we should be doing. We juggle committees and demanding jobs and try to keep up with unrealistic number of friends. Yet we feel isolated. We are often doing so much God can barely God. We are often doing so much for God but barely meeting with him. And we feel if we 
are failing every, and we feel we are failing everywhere we look. Amid all the busyness, we made it impossible to hear a voice saying, Be still and know that I am God. What is it that we're running from? What keeps us from carving out space and time for quiet we so desperately need? Ready for it? Yes, we are busy and distracted and it is dang hard to sit still. But we are also afraid of facing ourselves and in turn facing God. We are afraid of being found out. We forget that he not only loves us, but actually likes us too. Yep, he sees all. He even knows every thought before we think it. But somehow, unlike humans, he has grace for all. Yet, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we find ourselves naked and afraid in life, so we choose to hide. What are we afraid might be found out? Here are a few things I've seen, both in my own life and in the lives of those I know and love. Number one, the fear of being put to work. Sitting alone with God has a way of bringing action items that we try so hard to avoid to surface of our circumstances. Oh, I'm sorry, of our conscientiousness. Need to forgive someone who wronged you? Reach out to the person you hurt. Make good on the commitment you've been neglecting. Sitting in the quiet with God will remind you these things and thousands more. Number two, the fear of being asked to change. Worse still, what if, what if solitude reveals not just specific actions you need to take, but rather a broader issue you need to repent? The nightly numbing habit, the increasing tendency to yell at your kids, the pool of Facebook when you're being paid to work. If you don't carve out time when the Holy Spirit can help us assess the quality of our lives, then we convince ourselves we won't have the access, the access, assess the quality of our lives. Easy, right? Yeah, not the best approach. Number three, the fear that you're all alone in the world. Clearly, this one hits closest to home. Why did I refuse to practice solitude during that 18-month span? Because I was afraid that if I reached out to God, there would be nobody home to, make, to take my call. I hate that I didn't close that distance sooner. Quiet time isn't so quiet, is it? Our heads actually get noisier when the noise all around us falls away. Behind every one of these fears is a lie. I cannot face God as I am. All we can see at first is the mess. Here's the truth. We are messed up, every one of us, which is exactly why we need time with God alone in the quiet, where we can hear his healing voice. We have a choice between chaos and quiet between noise and solitude with God, between denial and healing. So why is it dangerous to keep believing this lie? Because humans never stay in neutral. We are either moving towards something or moving away from something. The antidote to running from ourselves is running to the only one who helps us get over ourselves. The lie is that we will be shamed. The truth is that God is that the God who is creator and so sovereign over the universe is the God who conquered sin and death. 
It's also the same God who wants to be with you in your pain, your doubt, your shame, and your, your circumstances. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Lie. I'll feel better if I stay distracted. Truth. Only being with God will satisfy me. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I choose to be still with God. The thing that became abundantly clear to me once I initiated contact with God again was that the fears I'd harbored about connecting with him were completely unfounded. This should have come as no surprise. If I were to ask you to complete this sentence, when we draw near to God, blank. What truth follows it? He will draw near to us. The line is taken from James 4, from a passage cautioning believers against being overtaken by the ways of the world. The apostle wrote, Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it has no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then in summary, he wrote, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we humble ourselves before God, submitting fully to him, regardless of what has kept us away, and regardless of what we're doing while we're away and for how long we're allowed that chasm to grow, we find he's always there waiting for us to come back. On page 74, there's a diagram and it says at the top we have a choice. On one side, it's emotion, disconnect, thought, I feel better if I stay distracted, behavior, constant input, relationships, needy and frantic, consequence, insecure. If we flop that and go from bottom to top with emotion, we have consequence, secure, relationships, calming and reassuring, behavior, prayer and meditation, thought, only being with God can satisfy me. I choose to be still. Emotion started at discontent. So there's a huge, drastic dynamic there for swapping those. Page 75, the power of focused attention. Friend, we were physically built for silence. God designed us this way, and science confirms that design. Secondary to the spiritual impact of time alone with God, according to the emerging field of neurology, quiet meditation quite literally changes our brains. When we turn off the constant distractions and we sit quietly before God, focusing intently on his word and really meditating on it, a few things happen. Your brain will psychologically alter. Science has found that brains of people who spend untold hours in prayer and meditation are different. Your imagination will be rewired. Inappropriate thoughts can be combated with positive thoughts such as thinking of a whole new hobby, playing music, repeating an inspiring quote, or some other positive activity. The kind of brainwaves present, present during relaxation increases and anxiety and depression decrease. 
Several studies have demonstrated that subjects who meditated for short time showed increased alpha waves, that's the brain, the relaxed brain waves, and decreased anxiety and depression. Your brain stays younger longer. A study through UCLA found that long-term meditation meditators had better preserved brains than non-meditators as they aged. You'll have fewer wondering thoughts. One of the most interesting studies in the last few years carried out at Yale University found that mindfulness meditation decreases activity in the default mode. The brain network responsible for mind wandering and self-referential thoughts, a.k.a. monkey mind. Your perspective will eventually shift when we take time to listen to what God has to say to us, wrote Bible teacher Charles Stanley. We will see how much he loves us and wants to help us through every situation in life. He gives us the confidence to live extraordinary lives in the power of his spirit and grace. Look back at the story of Saul encountering Jesus on the road, and you'll see that all other You'll see that as all other distractions, not just food and water, but also sight, were removed from his life. He could see clearly for the first time in his life. Like Saul, when we turn our thoughts from our problems to the only one who holds a solution in his hands, we gain wisdom we'd not otherwise have. We gain insight, insight we'd not otherwise experience. We find one who is willing to help us and able to help us and thus uniquely poised to intervene. We come to see things not as they seem to us, but as they truly are. How many times have we created an entire storyline based on the worst case scenario? Often we imagine someone ang- someone's anger towards us simply because of a sideways glance that had nothing to do with us. We built entire narratives that began to take on lives of their own based on assumptions and our overactive imaginations. All because we attend to fears, attend to distractions, and attend to worst-case scenarios. It has been said, and I think it is true, that the most valuable asset we possess is our attention, which prompts the question, to what are we attending? Are we attending to our fear? Are we attending to the God who promises to be with us? Are we attending to our doubt? Are we attending to the truth that never changes? Are we attending to our need for control? Or are we attending to God's plan, even if chaos breaks into the present reality? I choose to be still. Ooh, this is long. Are we attending to how we compare with others, or are we attending to the gratitude we have for all God has done for us? Are we attending to our lives, or to our worries regarding our health, our bank accounts, our careers, our spouses, our children, our regrets, our past, or are we attending to the living God? In my experience, we can do one or the other. We can't do both at the same time. We will attend to the things that are crushing us, and we will take up the light burden that is Christ. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, he says. Be still and know that I am God. But first, Instagram. It's a typical Monday morning. I've gotten the kids off to school and I'm craving time alone with God, longing for his input and his wisdom and his strength. If I were wired differently, I'd head back home after school drop-offs and I'd pour a mug of hot coffee, tuck myself into the oversized chair in the living room, settle into the silent surroundings and commune with him. But I'm me. I point my car toward our church and get there as fast as I legally can. Our church is a massive place. The parking lot is big, the auditorium is big, the chapel is big, the coffee bar area also big, which means I can hold a big number of people at all times. I love big numbers of people, even on mornings when solitude is my aim. I park, I head in, I scope out a table on the covered patio, I order a cup of coffee, and start to ease into the sloped back wooden chair. Before my backside hits the seat, I hear a friend call, Jenny, as she heads my way. Ah, my people. Hello, hello. As I'm chatting with my girlfriend, another friend arrives and comes over to chat a while. When the first friend excuses herself to take a call, an acquaintance of the second friend introduces herself. This continues in this way. An unending flow of interactions and chat. A friend of mine happen a friend of mine happening by and then a friend of hers stopping to talk with us and then before I know it, half an hour has passed. It's okay, it always goes this way. Given my unyielding extroversion, I need it to go this way. As those acquaintances and friends head into plans and conversations they've scheduled for the day, I reclaim the wooden chair. I tuck my headphones from my backpack, the big cushy ones that leave no question in the minds of passerbyers regarding whether I'm otherwise occupied. I slip them over my ears, pull out my Bible and journal and a pen, and for the next 30 or 40 minutes, encounter the living God. Well, just as I cycle through my feeds and inboxes, Instagram, email, Facebook, back on Instagram. Sigh. Honestly, of all the hard work I've done this past year to take my thoughts captive, this has been the hardest of all, sitting down all alone in the hush. At the same time, the one pattern that has been most useful to me in the year since you've gone to trip is the same habit, the practice of time alone with God, which is why I want to tackle it here at the beginning of our battle against worldly thought patterns. This is where our thought lives change. Connection with God is the foundation for every other God-given tool we have to fight with. We begin here because if spiritual, if supernatural change is what we want, we have to go to our supernatural God to find it. I want to look closer at Galatians 5, where Paul described the efforts both of retreating from God's presence and drawing near. I say walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, he wrote. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurities, and idolatry, sorcery, amenity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, envy, drunkenness, the things like that. I warn you, as I warned you before, for those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Now it's easy to look at that of the works of the flesh and give ourselves a broad brush pass. Because I don't tend to be tempted by sorcery or drunken orgies, I let myself off the hook regarding my own works of the flesh. My beloved Netflix, the fits of anger my kids seem to provoke in me, the division between God and me I allowed for a year and a half. How much I needed his presence, I still need it now. Why? Because even my best day pales in comparison with the reality he says I can live. And the same goes for you. Because the fruit of the Spirit is our new way of being. Paul says we can be people who love, not just once in a while, but intentionally. He says we can be joyous people. We can be people of kindness and patience and peace. He says we can be good, not just some comic check mark, but simply because our Father is good. He says we can be faithful. We don't have to waver in our faith. Man, I do wish I could have stayed connected to this truth a year and a half ago. By God's grace, I'll stay connected to it now. He says we can be gentle and self-controlled. But if you and I are to live this, just not just as possibility, but as the everyday, every moment reality, we need to walk by the Spirit not be jerked around by our swirling, chaotic thoughts. In other words, we urgently need time in the presence of God. Father, we can say to him, help me see things not as they seem, but as they truly are. I'm going to pause there. So I'm on page 81, and I'm stopping right in the mid-page where it says we are, or what are you really thinking? And I'm going to pause there, even though there's not a ton left, but 22 minutes is good for me for right now. I'll be back.